Good morning, everyone, and a Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Again, my name is Isaac, and I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here in Christian Bible Church of the Philippines. Today, we'll be starting a new series, a short Christmas series called Behold Him. And it's a series where we can revisit the gospel and talk about the person of Jesus. And I'm sure as a Christian and as a Filipino, you have probably heard about the gospel at least once in your life. In fact, allow me to ask you, what is exactly the gospel? I'm sure many of us have heard the cliche that um, the reason for the season is Jesus. And when someone were to ask you, why is Jesus the reason for the season? You would, of course, answer because of the gospel. So what if someone were then to ask you, but what exactly is the gospel? How would you explain the gospel to them? Now, I remember when I was younger, uh, I would attend vacation Bible school. Um, I was around six or seven when I first joined my first VBS. For those who didn't grow up in church, it's basically a summer school, uh, a church summer school for the Bible, for Christian kids. And I remember that that was my first encounter with what the gospel was. Um, so if you're if you grew up in church, you would know that in Vacation Bible School, there would be a lot of Bible stories, there would be a lot of games, arts and crafts. But what I particularly remembered was that there's always this one-on-one -on -one counseling session wherein your counselor or teacher would like usher one of you away into like this dark corner and they'll tell you about the gospel. And at that time when I was uh, younger, six or seven, they would use like, uh, this tool called an evangelicube. So they would show you the story of the gospel through these images with a cube that could open and close. And it would go something like this. Um, this first, the first picture would be a picture of heaven and a picture of you, but it's separated. So they'll say that God wanted us to be with him in heaven, but because of sin, we're now separated. And step two would be the picture of the cross, saying that because of our sin, Jesus had to die on the cross for you and for me. And the third picture would be uh, the person walking on the cross. And the counselor would say that because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can now enter into eternal life, into heaven with God, because Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And only through him can we go to the Father. And the counselor would end his message with this picture, that we have the free choice of accepting the free gift of salvation by faith and enter into eternity in heaven with Jesus. But if we were to reject that message, we would go to hell. Because for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Then, of course, the counselor would invite me to pray the sinner's prayer, uh, wherein I have to confess that I was a sinner and I accept Jesus into my life as my Lord and personal Savior, and I'll pray Amen. So when the counselor invited me uh, you know, to accept the gospel, of course, yes, diba? because you were just showing a, <laughs> you're showing a six- or seven-year-old kid the picture of hell. Of course, I was terrified. I didn't want to be barbecued. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in hell. So not knowing, a lot of, not knowing better, I accepted this gospel. I prayed this sinner's prayer. Then my counselor would then say to me, welcome, congratulations. You're now part of God's family and you have now received the gift of eternal life. Now, maybe in hindsight, when we look at this picture now, there might be some, you know, a couple of things that might be a bit disturbing for us. 
why was this the way that the gospel was presented to us? Well, bearing aside showing children the pictures of hell, um, it's even unusual for people like you and me who probably grew up in church. We might begin to question things in hindsight. Why was the gospel packaged to me in this manner? Now, being a pastor's kid, um, I can assure you I was part of every VBS every single year without fail. I would join all the youth camps, all the Bible programs, all the Bible events, all the evangelistic programs. So like I could, there are more events than I could remember and count. And I would remember every single time that this gospel message in this same manner was presented to me. Every time that the pastor would open that invitation for us to accept the gospel, I would always, always without fail accept it. And, it does, and it's weird because I already did when I was younger. But why would I accept it again and again and again? And I realize now in hindsight, I was terrified. I was afraid of the idea of going into hell. So I would accept the gospel again and again as insurance. In case maybe God wasn't listening the first time or even the second or third and fourth. I would just accept it again and again. And... Growing up, I tried my best not to sin or do bad things. I tried to be a good kid. And, and when I did, I would feel very guilty. I would feel as if, oh no, maybe God will now cast me into hell because I made a mistake. But then after some time of prayer and reflection, I realized that, wait, I shouldn't feel so bad about it because um, Jesus has died for my sin and I'm going into heaven. Now, Looking at my understanding of the gospel back then, I realized there wasn't a lot of heart change. My life wasn't being transformed because all I thought then that the gospel was some sort of insurance policy, something that will get you out of hell. And that brings exactly to my title and my question for you today. The title of my message is, what exactly is the gospel and how do we behold him fully? And these are the passages that we'll be discussing today. Here, the problem here with the gospel I just presented to you is that it is a simple gospel. And today, for us to better understand the gospel, we'll be talking about these three things. The problem of a simple gospel, the problem of believing and not trusting, and the problem of brokenness. I think many of us would have our idea of the gospel similar to what I discussed earlier about it being a gift of eternal life and being a gift away from the punishment of hell. But there's a problem with a simple gospel. And many of you might already be thinking with me, uh, looking back on how you first received the gospel, you may have realized this. Isn't the gospel just emotionally manipulating people using the extrinsic reward of heaven and the punishment of hell? You're just taking the gospel because you want the extrinsic rewards and avoiding the extrinsic punishments. Isn't the gospel infecting and creating real lasting change into our lives. Now, the question I asked you earlier, what exactly is the gospel and how would you explain it to your friend now seems a bit more complicated. You see, the, the gospel was primarily shared to us to solve one thing, the problem of sin and suffering. And today, of course, we live in a very individualized, secular, and postmodern world. And what we have failed to notice is that these secular, individualized uh, narratives and scripts are so deeply entrenched into everything that we do and that we think. More than ever, the scripts of our society would go like this. We have to study well. We have to work hard. We have to gain success and achievements and acquire wealth. We have to seek power so that we'll be able to impact the change that we want and not be oppressed. We have to seek a life and work with purpose and meaning. Sounds familiar? No wonder 
everybody is so stressed and anxious and depressed all the time because purpose and meaning are now things that an individual has to discover for themselves. And what if you choose something to be your purpose in life? Just you realize that that might have been the wrong choice. Our individualistic world has made us feel irrelevant, useless at times, when we fail to succeed in our achievements, in our accomplishments, in our work, especially when we begin to compare ourselves to others on social media or wherever we see them. And without us knowing, this extrinsic, secular narrative based on punishment and reward has also infiltrated our gospel. It has made our gospel into a simple gospel. Now, today, one of the biggest problems of the gospel is or the church, is a hypocrisy of the church. I have many Christian friends growing up in church and in school, but many of them are no longer Christian today. And they would say one reason alone, the hypocrisy of the church and of Christians. Because we claim again to be a religion of hope, of love and grace, but we are unforgiving. We are selfish. We are tight-fisted. And because we have devoted most of our time into our own individualistic pursuit of success, achievement, success, and power. And wealth. Now, here's a picture that um, you can see on the screen here is a picture of the Philippines. There's a city of Pakati and there's a city of Pasay. Now, the Philippines itself is a nation of division, poor and rich. In this picture, we can see that we can actually see the nuances of the socioeconomic scale. In Makati, there's a lot of nice buildings and you know, uh, sky rises, but in Pasay, it's a bit more poor. It's a bit, there's a lot of shanties in there. It is a country whose story is basically being told by the rich, enjoyed by the rich, and controlled by the rich. But the Philippines, ironically, is also a country where the gospel is preached, where the name of Jesus is known by 99.9% of every Filipino. But yet, the gospel in Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus has a very little impact on the most marginalized of our society. This is a problem of a simple gospel it makes it difficult for it to create lasting change within ourselves, within our communities, and within our nation. And the biggest problem is the allure for more. Being, um, falling into the trap of wanting to pursue more. When I was younger, I was told that I have to study hard so I can get into a good college. And when I was in college, I had to study harder so that I could get a good job. I had to get a good job so I had to earn a lot of money. I have to earn a lot of money so that I can start a business or get a better job. And I have to start a business and earn a lot of money so that I could support my family and provide them a good education, provide them good homes, provide them a good livelihood. But here's my question. When does our individualistic pursuit end? And when does, when does the transformative act of the gospel begin? When does our selfish pursuit of more becomes enough? And when does the gospel, the transformation of the gospel in our societies, in our nations begin? Now, if there's any skeptics here who are tuning in with us, or maybe uh, Christians who are beginning to question the reality of Christianity, you're welcome to question and doubt this picture of this gospel. This is my hope to share with you that, that CPCB is a place that you can bring your questions in and dialogue with us about your questions because we want this to be a safe place for us to converse about it and learn more about the gospel and what the church has to offer. And our pastors here are immensely, immensely talented and you can speak 
to any of them, and I'm sure they'll be able to address your answers, especially for those who are genuinely searching for answers. Now, this is exactly the problem of having a simple gospel. It remains within us, and it remains to be encouraged by the pursuit of extrinsic rewards or the escape from punishment. And there's no real transformation within ourselves and our community. And my second point is, the problem with this is that we have to understand the gospel better in the, in the aspect of understanding the different gospels. So the problem of believing and not trusting. So I've already mentioned John 3.16 earlier in my VBS story. But instead, let's look at what the other gospels are saying about the real, the fuller picture of the gospel. Let's look at what Mark has to say. So Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15 says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, A time is fulfilled and a kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, unlike John, Mark believes that the gospel is to repent and to believe. And no, it is not just a cognitive belief or convincing yourself that Jesus or God exists. In fact, James would summarize this idea in a verse. In James 2.19, James says, You believe that God is one, and you do well, because even the demons believe and they shudder. Because, you see, believing in God as Savior, as Lord, as Creator, that's so easy. Even demons can do it. Even they can convince themselves that that is real. But the Greek for belief in Mark is pistis. It is to trust. It is to commit your whole self into a singular idea, and instead of reading maybe Mark with belief, let's try to translate it into trust. So let's look at the same verse with my emphasis. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and trust in the gospel. Sounds a bit different, does it? You see, the depth of the gospel goes deeper than just believing. It is to trust in God. It's not believing just in the existence of God while living your own separate life. It is trusting God out of your comfort zones. It is about trusting God when he tells you to sell all you have and give it to the poor. That's what we find in Mark chapter 10, verses 17, for the rich man. It is trusting God when he tells you that you have to die to yourself and carry your own cross. It is trusting God when God tells you to forgive, to love, and to accept those that you hate and despise. My friends, the simple gospel, believing is so easy, but trusting is hard. Trusting is being all in with God, and that is what Mark is trying to say. For Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19, this is what he says about the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now for Luke, the gospel was, not, it was God's declaration for the freedom and forgiveness of all of God's enemies and the oppressed. It was not just a liberation from sin, but it is liberation from the shackles of poverty, from disease, from social ostracization, and it's also in Luke's gospel where we see that Jesus is often eating with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes, the outsiders of society. In Luke's gospel, we are told that we have to embody the love and compassion and the healing of God through the example of Jesus towards sinners. 
and the marginalized within our society. Now, the gospel is now starting to seem a bit different from our original conception of it. Now, what does Matthew have to say about the gospel? Now, in Matthew chapter 5, 3 to 11, it says, it is the Beatitudes which we're all aware about. It is Jesus describing how this gospel will bring about a new kingdom, a new community. And the community should look like this if the gospel is actually transforming us and our communities. Of course, we're very aware of the Beatitudes. It's about the poor in spirit and the kingdom of God. And because of the length, I will not read it uh, word per word, but I'll just summarize it for you. Basically, what the Beatitudes are saying is that the kingdom of God is like this. It's a community where the poor are seen, where the most brokenhearted shall be healed, where the weakest shall rule the earth, where those who hunger and thirst shall be filled, where those who love God shall see him, and those who are kind shall not be taken advantage of. If we were to combine our understanding from the Gospels of John, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, the fuller picture of the gospel is this. The gospel is more than an extrinsic, motivated reward of salvation, but it is a lifestyle of intrinsic love, of communion with Christ, God, and God's people. Again, it is a lifestyle of an intrinsic love, of communion with Christ, God, and his people. Allow me to just read this um, beautiful worded uh, description of the gospel by Brian Zand. He said that the gospel is a joyful proclamation that the kingdom or the community of God has arrived with Jesus, in, with the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus Christ, basically Jesus becoming human. The gospel is a bold announcement that Jesus is Lord and that the world is now to be reconfigured around his gracious rule. The gospel is a beautiful story of how God is bringing the world out of bondage to sin and death through the triumph of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not simply about the afterlife. It is not simply a ticket into heaven or a ticket out of hell. It is a script, a guide for us to live our best life in love with purpose towards human flourishing. But the difference with Christianity from other religions is that the gospel is not the tool to be wielded and to be just used. The gospel is Jesus Christ incarnate who lives through us, in us, and for us. This means that when we do good deeds, we're not just doing good deeds so that we can impact social justice. When we do good deeds, we are fully participating in the legacy, in the person, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We are fully participating in the gospel message of God. And the gospel message of God is a solution to the suffering and the sin of the world you are fully participating in God's solution for suffering and sin with Jesus Christ, with the church. Now I see, I know this seems a bit confusing and it seems very theological, but it just means that the gospel is just more than a simple ideology or philosophy that we have to understand then apply. But the gospel is God's message, his solution for this destructive and suffering world, both as something to be understood to be applied, but most importantly, to fully experience and participate in. Which leads us to our last point, the problem of brokenness. Now, Christianity and the gospel gives us more than our search for meaning. It gives us a new dimension, a new reality to participate 
in the fullness of God's love. Because the gospel allows us to enter into a relationship where God accepts us, transforms us, and embraces us as who we are and who we were meant to be. Now, some years ago, I was uh, working in Bicol and I was working with a couple of sales agents. And we were driving to another province and it was a, it was a long drive, like a two or three hour drive away. And you know, I was just making conversation. I began to ask about their families. So my first question was to one of my sales representatives was, how many children do you have? And I was met with silence. Remember, first question, palang malena. I asked. <laughs> it was the first question. It was already the wrong question to ask. Then, after some period of silence, I, I noticed that the other sales representatives, who were his friends, were smiling and they were nudging him to answer. Then, one of his friends answered in his stead. He said to me in Tagalog, "Sir, dapat yun tanong mo kasi kung ilan na mapanganay niya." In translation, sir, you should ask him instead. How many firstborn children does he have? It turns out uh, this sales rep who I asked has three firstborn from three different women. And he's not even married, and, but he's living with another woman. And it just goes to show that besides purpose and meaning that we are searching in this secular and individualized world, we're also broken. And we're also in search for wholeness and belonging. And my story illustrates that it is obvious that our brokenness is often most painfully expressed and experienced with respect to our sexuality. Here's what Henry Nouwen so says it so perfectly, that his own and my friend's struggles make it clear how central our sexuality is to the way that we think and feel about ourselves. Our sexuality reveals to us our enormous yearning for communion, desires of our body to be touched, to be embraced, and safely held belong to the deepest lungs of the heart and are very concrete signs of our search for oneness. It is precisely around this yearning for communion that we experience so much anguish. Our society is so fragmented, our family lives so surrendered by physical and emotional distance, our friendships so sporadic, our intimacy so in-between things, and often so utilitarian, and that there are few places where we can feel truly safe. I notice in myself how often my body is tense and how I usually keep my guard up and how seldom I have a complete feeling of being at home. Now, we may not be struggling with sexual sin or sexual issues, but the, the, the problem is we're all broken and we're all looking for communion. And the deepest, longing for, the, the deepest longings of our heart is just to be able to be seen and to be loved and to be called the Beloved. And to my skeptic friends and to my Christian friends who are beginning to doubt and maybe lose that first love of the gospel and of God, the gospel is and still God's answer to the deepest longings of your heart. Through Jesus, God is speaking and he's saying that you are his beloved, that you are accepted, that you are significant, that you are fully human with him and your most exciting life begins with him. And there's no boredom in this adventure of a lifetime with God. You just have to fully surrender yourself and experience it. You have to go beyond the simple gospel of extrinsic rewards and punishment, but to trust in God and enter into a communion and relationship with Him. Don't just believe the gospel. Understand the gospel. Trust in the gospel. Surrender into the gospel and allow it to transform you 
your nation, your community, your church. And in this brief session, we've already talked about these three things. I began with a question asking you, what exactly is the gospel? And we have discussed these three things so far, that we have to move beyond the problem of a simple gospel. And we have to move, and we have to move beyond believing, but into trusting. And we have to accept that the gospel is our only solution to our own brokenness. Now, maybe here are just some application points for us to consider. If you can take a screenshot or a photo of this. But basically, these are just three questions for you to reflect on yourself and your own understanding of the gospel. Maybe there's something you can discuss with your families as you celebrate Christmas. Is my gospel a gospel of salvific insurance or a loving, transformative, redemptive gospel? Do I limit my faith in the realm of cognitive belief or do I trust God's leading? Is a gospel my answer to my own brokenness or is it something else? Let me leave you with those questions for you to dissect and masticate on. Now let me tell you another story. Now there was once a businessman who was riding on a train. In those days where trains were the popular means of transportation. You know, this businessman, he was comfortably sitting in his carriage reading newspaper. However, he noticed that in front of him was a young man. And the young man sitting across him was visibly anxious, upset about something. So the businessman looked to him and said, young man, you seem troubled. Is everything okay? And the young man replied, mister, may I tell you a story? And the young man began to tell him the story of his childhood. Back then, I had a terrible argument with my father many, many years ago. And in my anger, I left my village. And I told him that I would never, ever speak to you, my father, ever again. And I would never go back into our village. And since then, I have not spoken or seen my father. And it has been over 20 years. Now my father is in his 70s. And I realized I've been such a fool and I want to see my father again before he dies. I wrote a letter to my father weeks ago and I, asked, and I was asking him if I could come back home. In that letter, I said, I would be on this particular train on this particular day and time. The train stops right next at the edge of our village every day at 12. So I asked my dad to give me a sign that I could come home, that if you were somehow, somewhere willing to forgive me, to accept me back, give me a sign. And the sign was to hang a white handkerchief on this giant old oak tree in this picture by the railroad next to our village. Tie a white handkerchief so that I would know that I was welcomed back home and that you were willing somehow to forgive me. If I see a white handkerchief by the tree, then I'm going to get off when the train comes to the station. But if I don't see the white handkerchief, I'm just going to keep on riding. I don't know whether the white handkerchief will be there, but I want it so badly to be there. And right now, I'm so afraid and so anxious that I'm, I don't have the courage in me to look at the tree. And as the businessman was hearing the young man's story, he was filled with compassion. And the businessman said to him, when we get close to where the old tree is, just close your eyes and I'll watch for you instead and I'll tell you what I see. 
and the young man accepted. So just about a kilometer away from where the tree was located, the young man closed his eyes. And the businessman sat there hoping that he would see at least a small white handkerchief hanging on an old tree by the railroad tracks. And the tr as a train rounded into the bend, and the businessman's uh, eyes started to see the tree, his eyes got wide, and he said to the young man, Open your eyes. Look, your father has tied every pillowcase, every sheet, every handkerchief, everything white in the village all around the tree. From top to bottom, the tree was like covered in snow. And your old father is by the tree, jumping and waving at us right now. It's a similar story, right, of the story of the prodigal son. And it reminds me of this passage from that particular parable. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is the father's love for us. This is why he gave us the gospel. This is why Jesus came to us to share the gospel. This is why Jesus is a reason for the season. The gospel is more than just an extrinsic motivated reward of salvation. But again, it's a lifestyle of intrinsic love, of communion with Christ, God, and his people. Jesus has come in this Christmas season to share his and his Father's love for us, for you, for me. So let's enter into his love. Let's trust in his gospel. And let's behold Jesus as a gospel message and behold him in this season. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful Christmas season. When we're in the safety of our own homes, Lord, in the warmth of our family, in the warmth of our homes, remind us, Lord, why we have all of these blessings, why we have these people to share our love and our lives with. Remind us, Lord, that you have given us everything, that you have come to heal us from our brokenness, that you have come to not just only give us the gift of salvation, but the gift of communion, the gift of transformation, the gift of a life well lived. And it's also a gift of love, a gift of sharing our lives with you and you sharing in our lives. May this be the gospel that we hold as we enter in celebration into this Christmas season. Thank you for your son. Thank you for you, Jesus, for coming into our lives and coming to us to be with us and to show us how to live. These things we pray, Lord, in your most precious name. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope that we can behold him in this season of celebration. Thank you.